Okay, another great episode of the Ortho Show podcast here. This time we're featuring Brett Sanders, an orthopedic surgeon down in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He did uh, uh, tremendous sports fellowships and did some time in Annecy with Dr. LaFosse. We have a lot of similar uh, characteristics and beliefs. He's an entrepreneur, orthopreneur, as our dear friend Matthew Ray Scott would say. He's innovative. He started his own company. We talk all about that, about how he's sort of bringing back techniques of old and making them pertinent, uh, open techniques into arthroscopic techniques, how we can save money and still provide cost-effective, really high-quality care. We talk a little bit about regenerative medicine. He's an outstanding musician, so I think we're going to get a little Bon Jovi going on, too. It's a great episode. I know you're going to love it. Hashtag follow the fro. From medical media, this is The Author Show. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of the Ortho Show podcast, where we bring you the best of the best in the orthopedic world. Today is no exception. We're bringing Dr. Brett Sanders, who's an orthopedic surgeon in private practice at the Center for Sports Medicine and Orthopedics in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He specializes in sports medicine, shoulder, and upper extremity surgery. Brett, it is a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for having me. It's great Uh, to see you. Oh, great to see you again. I think the last time we saw each other was at the Academy with all 12 other orthopedic surgeons that were there for the meeting. And, uh, <laughs> That's right. That's we got, right. We got to hang out with Ira Kirschenbaum. And I was the, just there for the drinks. I mean, yeah, that, well, I would make some, the Joey event. <laughs> he, he makes some good drinks over there for Joey. Now we love Ira, the godfather of orthopedics and his fantastic journal, which we're all helping out with. So uh, it was great to see you there. Are you heading out to OSET in uh, December? Um, I'm probably going to go to the, uh, the, uh, ASES meeting. Sure. You know? Only so many meetings you can do. Yeah. You got to head to that exclusive club with all your boys that all hang out. That's fantastic. <laughs> I don't blame you. Good for you. Um, all right. So let's start off. So are you, so you're from Nashville originally, is that correct? Yep. Born, born and bred Nashville, Tennessee, um, and landed, landed over here in Chattanooga. Yeah, you're uh, you stayed you stayed south pretty much except for one year. We'll talk about as we go through. But uh, was was medicine something that was early on for you, or was it something that you weren't sure about and sort of fell into? Yeah, it started at the dinner table. My dad was a plastic surgeon, and uh, he landed in. He ended up doing his last fellowship year at Vanderbilt, and that's that's why we were in uh, in Nashville. So I kind of knew I was into surgery, and I thought I was going to be going to plastics actually, and. I had kind of an artistic side or creative side and, and, uh, but when I met the ortho guys, it was all over, you know, at Campbell clinic at UT Memphis, where I did med school. So, and kind of did the engineering thing and, and orthopedic thing and went that direction. Yeah. So you wound up using the other side of the brain because we'll, we'll talk about it. I know you have a love for music and uh, we might even be able to have our listeners get a little, uh, a little sample of that. That'd be kind of cool towards the end of the episode, but all right. So then you're, you're off to university of Virginia undergrad and you're thinking it's going to be medical school and you head to university of Tennessee for med school too. So you're staying South most of the way and, and the orthopedics you sort of figured out, was it in medical school when you were there that you really sort of got the, the bug? Yeah. Um, you know, I was working as a suture tech at the uh, Elvis Presley uh, Memorial Trauma Center there and hung out with a lot of the, you know, the ortho docs and they were just uh, like legends, you know, they were like cowboys, and really cool guys. And, and I kind of got hooked uh, and um, 
you know, the same thing continued over at Emory and, and um, just very fortunate to have, have gotten into the right field of, of people, you know, guys like you, you know, oh, we're, we're definitely the coolest around. I mean, there's no question yeah. about that. I mean, so you right. obviously had a great sense of uh, <laughs> a great high intellect to be able to figure that out early on. That's <laughs> awesome. Uh, that's great. So you finish up your residency. And so then within red, so now you're in orthopedics, you, you've pretty much decided that's what you're going to do. And when did the sports medicine bug come out? Um, you know, uh, at Emory, I got into arthroscopy and, and, you know, arthroscopy, the shoulder was just coming out. The, the guy who trained me there, John, John's Ruins, you know, was, uh, it was a, a Stephen Hawkins guy and, and, uh, it was just really exciting how many things, you know, it was like the shoulder was this black box and it was just blowing up and all of the, you know, all of the alphabet soup of lesions in the shoulder was coming out and it, 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 I, it appealed to me because it was like, you had to think, you know, it wasn't just like doing arthroplasties. You, you, you're actually real time thinking and cuff repairs and, you know, stereognosis and three, 3d spatial thinking, which I was good at and enjoyed. And it seemed like a little puzzle, you know, a little optimization problem that was kind of fun. So that's, that's where I got interested, you know, in it. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, ACLs are pretty much the same every time we do them, but rotator cuffs are always different. There's always nuance. Even instability is always difference within the shoulder too. So that's always fun. And, and then, you know, it, it's interesting. You brought up the, the, the 3d thing, you know, so here we are, right. We're, we're operating in a, on a two-dimensional screen, looking at a TV in front of us on a three-dimensional human being. And we're not even looking at the, at the person that we're operating on. We're looking at a TV screen. So your hands are doing one thing, your foot's doing another thing, and your eyeballs aren't even looking where you're doing surgery. So it's not easy. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that, that really is difficult. I mean, what I love is that, you know, Danny Goyle and Precision OS and some of the virtual reality stuff that's coming out now, I think is going to help our, our residents and, and doctors train even easier. But I think, you know, Back in the day, when you were, you're right, you're first starting, you're getting in there, what are we going to do? You know, yeah, we can get in the shoulder, but what are we going to do to fix all that kind of stuff? Right. That's one of the things that, you know, this, this story that I got into with transosseous is so, is so deep on so many levels. I mean, you could, you could go for hours, but this whole thing of a paradigm and why things happened in the market and when we didn't have transosseous and then we had anchors and then all of a sudden we changed and, and then what that made us do, like in ACLs, for instance, you know, you got the vertical graphs when we started scoping and it took us 20 years to figure that out. And like, that was a, that was a technology induced, you know, that was, that was the inability to see around the condyle essentially with the 30 degree arthroscope and not, you know, not understanding that. And so I, I would contend there's a lot of that stuff that, you know, we'll, we'll get into here about the shoulder. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I want to talk a lot about your company too, because, you know, that's one of my big things too, is entrepreneurship, but we'll, we'll get there, but it's interesting. I mean, I'll just give a little segue to the audience and our listeners in 1995, 96, when I was at Curlin Job, you know, Neil Elitraj was four or five years in and I was doing my fellowship and Dr. Job was there and, you know, we would scope shoulders, but we were really scoping more for sort of diagnostic, you know, things rather than, you know, it was really early on. We weren't even really doing arthroscopic rotator cuff repair, but kudos to you. We'll talk about that as we work our way in. We'd scope and then we do the mini open rotator cuff. And more often than not, we would do transosseous tunnels to be able to fix it. So this is something that's been around for 25, 30 years. Uh, and then hundred years. Uh, there you go. So, so, you know, we'll, at least within my spectrum of understanding orthopedics and uh, no, but we, we could talk about the history a little bit more as, as we move on, but I want to talk about some more of your training because uh, you spent some time in Boston and you, you came up and did a sports medicine fellowship at the Harvard program with Tom Gill, who is one of my favorite people on the planet. And uh, so you were there in 2006, is that correct? 
Yeah, 0506. It was actually yeah. with JP Warner and uh it was the shoulder program. Got and it. it was the year that Peter Millett was there, and then he got tapped to go to Hawkins, Seven Hawkins. Sure. Larry Higgins came in behind him. So it was kind of an interesting pivot year where I got to stay. They were doing the Intercontinental Shoulder Fellowship with Christian Gerber at the time. And so I was going to Edinburgh. I did another fellowship in upper extremity over in Scotland and traveled Europe and you know, trained with LaFosse while I was over there. So I actually stayed for 12 months there and uh, was, you know, that was a bit unusual at the time, but it was an amazing experience. Yeah, for sure. And, and so, but you helped to cover the sports teams too, didn't you with the sports fellows as well or no? no well, it was kind of its own, uh, it was really its own program, you know, and we had a fellows clinic and kind of ran, you know, we were working together as fellows. It was really an interesting kind of progressive way of doing it. Got it. So you didn't walk away with any sports championship rings. That's what I was trying to get to, but that's no, okay. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so then, so, but you go to Edinburgh, that had to have been fantastic. And then what did, did you spend? How much time did you spend with LaFosse and Annecy? Uh, about a month uh, living in Annecy and, um, you know, just being with him in the, but if you, if you add on, see, he was coming over, Dr. Warner was one of the guys that was bringing, introducing him essentially to the United States. So he was coming to our lab all the time doing suprascapular nerves and, so I got exposed to him in a lot of different, you know, venues that year, um, but then went to Annecy and kind of saw, you know, the way they do it. Oh, man, I love Annecy. What a beautiful town. I mean, the, the lake and just the the Sunday market, just the amazing food and, and vegetables and fruits that they put out. It's just a beautiful spot on the planet. It really is. Yeah, it's a, it's the the European uh, surgical world's a different vibe. I mean, you know, I was in the NHS and I ran a marathon and, and, uh, you know, it was like six weeks of vacation. It was like different, you know, it was, it was a lot different, uh, vibe, more collegial, I think in some ways and just really fun. And, you know, came back here to the grind of private practice. I, you know, I had this idea, you know, I'm, I'm going to incorporate that into my, into my life and practice. And then it's just hitting the grind, <laughs> you know, U S well, that U S style, man, we are a high volume world. It's just the nature of what we do. And uh, you know, that's that, that whole side of things is changing as well, right? The foundation of medicine, you guys are a really strong, you know, private practice. I'm sure you're starting to get some inquiries maybe about private equity and, and how things are changing, you know, are you going to you know, become hospital affiliated is the hospital going to buy you and, it's a, it's, it's unsettled times for, for me in particular, for, for my career of over three decades, seeing what's going on as we move forward. So as the, as, as are you guys solid and just doing private practice at this point, or are you getting inquiries outside as well, or what's going on there? Yeah, we're really in a big growth phase right now. Um, you know, private group, like 23 guys and, you know, a lot of ancillaries and we have been late to the party. Uh, we're, we've, very good. We've done a great job at, we're in the ortho forum and, uh, you know, we share data with uh, some of the top groups in the country. And, uh, but one of our biggest things that we're late to the party to, which plays into my whole thing that I'm doing with tensor is the, we're just now spooling up the, the, uh, outpatient surgery center. It was really hard. We're in the CON state politically and, and, and legally to, to, to get it done, but we finally went through the machinations and got it done. And, and like you say, I think this is this is really the the uh, the petri dish, the microcosm of where private practice is going to continue to innovate and have that you know value over volume. But also the key key element here is is what has not happened and allowed these big leaps to occur 
is is the co-alignment of the surgeon with with the with the uh, the payer, you know. And uh, so they they started to do that with bundle payment and so forth. And so we were we're involved in some of those uh, bundles. But the outpatient surgery center, I think, is where that's where it's all going. That's a big big factor and big paradigm, you know, that's coming in. And when you see those private equity guys, you know, looking at surgery centers, it means there's there's something going on. Yeah, you, you know, it's funny, Massachusetts is, is like Tennessee. I mean, so to get a certificate of, of need for a surgery center is a really you know, laborious regulatory process. So in New Hampshire, there isn't any. And so they're, they're, these surgery centers are popping up across state line and all the orthopedic surgeons from Massachusetts are scurrying up there to be able to take care of their patients. And, right. and it seem, seems to be a nice process for them and has worked well, uh, for sure. But no, I think that you know, as physicians, I think we need to take ownership back on the business of medicine, right? I mean, we, we've sort of sort of hung back and we just sort of do what we do. And, you know, I think that these bundled payments and being smart and savvy and, and developing, you know, relationships with commercial payers. So for our listeners, a bundled payment is basically you go to insurance payer, you say, look, we can do the entire continuum of care for this total knee replacement. And we're going to charge you this amount of money and that's it. We don't need any more money to do it and we'll take care of the rest. And, and in so doing it, you're efficient, you develop, you know, best practices and high quality care, trying to reduce costs and all of that hopefully changes or turns into improved reported outcomes for, you know, for the patients as well. So big, big fan of that. So let's talk a little bit about that because, you know, it's one thing to be a clinical orthopedic surgeon and go into the hospital and in your office and diagnose and treat, et cetera. But, you know, you have really taken a different path as well, which is to, you know, as, as Matthew Ray Scott would call it an orthopreneur, but we'll call it an, an entrepreneur for today and, and innovation. And you founded a company called Tensor Surgical. You're the founder and, and the chief medical officer. And so tell us about your company, because I always find it fascinating that, that doctors are willing to, to see, seek out a problem and hopefully come up with a solution. And that's what I think entrepreneurship is. So tell us about it. Yeah. So this is a solution to sort of just the elephant in the room problem of everyone's talking about value bundles, everything, everything's going that way, but yet no one's addressing the major cost issue of implants in this, you know, you've got this technique that's been around for a hundred years, the gold standard technique, transosseous technique, better, less pain, better fixation, you know, we can get into all the benefits, but on paper, it's, it's, it, it really, it's hard to refute, uh, but nobody was doing it because they just weren't incentivized to disrupt their own, you know, market. So tensor surgical is the first reusable uh, transosseous tunneling device designed for arthroscopic shoulder surgery, which can save, you know, hundreds to thousands of dollars a case by reducing or eliminating hardware costs. So you think of it like a shotgun that breaks down and gets re-sterilized and you're only paying for the shelves. You're not throwing away the whole shotgun, which is what we're doing, you know, uh, up until now. So that, that was the problem that we attacked and um, we iterated it. We eliminated a lot of the, we were the second mover back when Arthro Tunneler came out. Um, you know, there was really not a lot of market and they made it disposable. So, you know, it was obvious that you could make it reusable. So we eliminated some steps and improved on the futziness and the, and the reliability of the device and the targeting accuracy of the device and then made it reusable. And it turns out those actually went together. So the, you know, the fact that it is robust made it target better, you know? So now it's, it's a lot easier to use and to trust and, and you can do, you know, eight, 10 or 12 fixation points in your cuff and, and get, a, get an awesome cuff repair. 
for the, for, for the cost of one acre, essentially. And you have that fixed cost reproducibility, which is what everybody want, really needs if you're in a bundle. And if you're the owner of your surgery center, then that margin goes back to you as the owner, or you can run it through to the patient. Or if you're in Mexico, you can you know, you can post more cases because the patients, you know, won't post their cases because they can't afford the anchors. And so it depends on your, you know, it gets into the complexities and the heterogeneity of the payer system on how to actuate the the, the value piece. Um, but we've basically got that done. We've been doing it for 10 years and there's no question it works. We've done, you know, over 5,000 cases, you know, around the world. And I've done, you know, over a thousand for sure. Yeah, we so, so for our listeners, I always like to make sure that our because not everybody that's listening is an orthopedic surgeon. So, so anchors have really become the mainstay of treatment. And what Dr. Sanders has done is come up with a technique that you can now arthroscopically do these tunnels. And super important for for the the rest of us is that it's a it's non-disposable. It's there. You can use it over, you know, repeat use back and forth over and over again, which is great for ASCs, but I'm worried about your business model, right? Because that's how medical device companies make a lot of money because you got to keep reordering and keep reusing those. So did you finance this on your own? Was this, uh, you know, was it organic? Do you have venture capital? What's going on there? Yeah. Uh, personal angel and VC, um, and you're right. Th- that's why I called it tensor. A, t- a tensor is a, is a, is a matrix of N vectors. And it's, this is way more complicated than you think. It's a, it's a gold standard clinical treatment paradigm with a, with a new technology, with a changing and evolving business paradigm as well. It's really like a, you know, a Rubik's cube that's changing in time. And this business paradigm is kind of the final keystone in the arch that I have to, you know, that we're trying to convince people of and, and the ASCs and the value paradigm that's changing, that's going to help us do that. And, you know, this, you're, you're right, it's, it's, it's disruptive to the traditional way of saying, you know, just sell more anchors, but we're providing a triple aim value, you know, service to the patient doctor and, and facility. I mean, let let's you know let's do that and you know the 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 future of cuff repair the strength for instance in cuff repair it doesn't come from the anchors it comes from the suture so it's high strength suture constructs and what i'm going to tell you is that the trans you know talking about you know right now you know in, in other countries and so forth there's an obvious you know economic argument that for adoption what you're talking about is in the u.s uh, when they're carving out implants, which is going away, that's, they're not going to carve them out. Medicare doesn't carve them out. You know, there's bundle payments now. You're going to find that using more and more anchors is going to hurt you. So it, you know, that, that worked for a while, but we've run that into the ground. It's like the subprime mortgage crisis. You know, it's just people just doing what they do, but it's not, it's, 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 it's not going to last. That's my, that's my argument. Um, and so we have a sustainable way to k- take market share. And then we're going to have the gateway, which is a Pandora's box of unlimited, unbelievable amounts of ways that you can do things with suture. And so that's going to be the new, the new paradigm is that once you can put those tunnels in, you find very quickly, once you start using it, that the sky is the limit on all kinds of new innovations that we're going to have the gateway for. So, so let's talk about that because you're, you know, one on your, your, your CV, you're also a board certified member of the American Academy uh, on the board of registrar of regenerative medicine. And which is interesting because I want to dive into this a little bit um, because I, I don't believe that they're they're not a member of the American Board of Medical Specialties, which is the, the typical boarding stuff that we think of boarded in orthopedic surgery or plastic surgery or, you know, whatever it may be. But 
you know, obviously you have a belief in regenerative medicine. Uh, we had Scott Bruder on, you know, who is, is, is a big leader in the, in the world of orthobiologics, which is a term that he likes to use rather than regenerative medicine. But I don't yes. think there's any, any doubt that there's more and more literature and studies coming out, which are demonstrating that whether it's, it's platelet, you know, uh, PRP, which are the platelets that we take out, we use those for the growth factors or the bone marrow aspirate concentrate, which is also known as BMAC. These things can help into the healing process. The issue and the problem is, is that they're not FDA approved for those indications or approved for other indications. We therefore can use them legally as long as we explain that they're sort of off-label indications for the patient. So I was hoping you could just sort of walk through how you have a conversation with your patient about orthobiologics and how you use them in practice. Because I think that there's, you know, the wild, wild west out there. There's a lot of concern. Stem cell, you can't use the word stem cell anymore in your conversations or in marketing. There's no actual indication for stem cells in the use of orthopedics. So how do you have your conversation with your patient as you're planning a rotator cuff repair and you're going to want to use biologics? I'm still delineating my indications in the shoulder part of, of RegenMed. I think it's very, the data is just very sparse and poor and, um, you know, incubating patches with it, I think is good. Um, but most of my discussion is around the knee. Now in, in that, um, in that field, it's really interesting because, you know, it's like, you, you, you start to see these market effects, you know, it's like, you've got big pharma coming out with like Visco shots that are like a thousand bucks. And then you've got this like, you know, doctor and patient relationship where it's like, you can harvest, you know, autologous products. And, and, and there's a, there's a little market there that's opening up for that. And it's like, you know, once you see that it's like, Oh wait, there's actually more options. Like it's not this pre-prescribed menu that we call insurance, which is actually just a pre-prescribed menu of options. And you're, you're basically not getting the options that you know insurance doesn't allow it really opens up uh a lot more uh discussion that there's about a 15 or 20 percent you know market segment in there you guys probably have more of it up you know where you are um of people who are willing to pay for things and they, they don't want to you know they want the cutting edge they're okay with some of the uncertainty as long as you have that discussion um, and they really don't want to jump through the hoops of like, oh, you know, the insurance company is going to take 40 years to approve this, you know, something that's incentivized to not approve things. Um, so that's an individual doctor and physician, you know, discussion about the risks and the benefits of your procedure and how, 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 how much do you want to go the extra mile? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like we have actually pretty similar philosophies when it comes to having conversations with patients. I'm you know, with Brian Cole's data for leukocyte poor PRP, which is the, the platelet rich plasma that doesn't have a lot of white cells, you can do three injections once a week for three weeks, and the data is pretty good. So I have that conversation with the patient. The issue is, and for the listeners out there, again, all of this, all the stuff in the regenerative space, orthobiologics, unfortunately, is not covered by insurance of any kind. This is a patient pay model. So you have to have a conversation you know, specific to the patient to say you're going to, you know, you'll have to pay out of pocket. What I find interesting nowadays is that it's a much easier conversation than it used to be because it used to be that patients had a 10 or a $20 copay and the insurance covered everything else. But now there's high deductible plans, there's PPO plans, HSA and FSA, all these things in which patients are now used to the concept of paying out of pocket for their healthcare. And so, you know, in particular, you have to do that. You know, I'm a big fan of laser. It's the same thing for laser. I mean, the, the, the uh, AAOS uh, guidelines on the treatment of osteoarthritis of the knee elevated PRP and laser both into the, to the category of 
uh, you know, of accepted treatment. And uh, but still, it's it's a patient pay model, and it's not going to change anytime soon. Despite all of the literature that comes out and the positive results that the Chris Santinos of the world and, and our dear friend Don Buford talks about, it's not going to be anytime soon that you're you're going to pay for it. So that's the concept. And do you do you get a lot of pushback from your patients on on the patient pay model? Um, I mean, we in Chattanooga, we don't have probably as big of a market as as like New York City or something where people, you know, really will want to just pay for everything. But there's definitely people that that read and they're educated and they and they understand that there's there's some promise here. And um, and, you know, like I said, I, I think it we have to keep this alive because this is how new innovations innovations happen with doctors and patients. They they you know, big industry does what big industry does, but there's, there's also things that they won't do. And, and this market keeps it alive. Um, you know, and this is, this is our future, you know, is, is to, is to have this market, um, and to do things like laser and stuff. I mean, how would you ever get that through, you know, a big insurance company? I mean, you would just be, it would just be hopeless, you know? Um, so I'm glad, you know, that we have guys like you doing, doing things like that. Um, and you know, biologics are hard and this is why I'm focusing on the cost side of it. This is a major advantage of what I'm doing is I'm trying to, to allow biologics to come in under a cost ceiling, which you otherwise can't do. You know, I'm going to have to tell my patient, you're going to pay an extra couple thousand dollars. And we haven't even talked about the hardware yet. Well, if I can reduce some of the hardware, you can spend that money on the biologics. And that makes a lot of sense going forward, because that's probably where we're going to make some big movements. Now, it, it takes 20 years to prove this stuff, and it takes a long time to show the, the putative advantages, right? Um, but to me, it's like common sense. So like we're doing this together, hardware and biologics. And that's what I'm trying to do, along with the bone tunnels and the biologic advantages of that and the revision you know, advantages of that. Yeah, and I want again. I want our listeners to 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 recognize that when we talk about cost savings, I mean, you know, it's very expensive. You know, healthcare in the United States is very expensive, and if we can provide really high quality care that's providing the same sort of outcomes, but we can do it with with less money, at the end of the day, that's good for all. So I don't want anybody to think that when Dr. Sanders is saying, "Oh, we're, you know, we're saving money." It's it's for the system. It's for the entire system, and most importantly, the patient outcomes, which you've demonstrated with your transosseous tunneler from Tensor, are as good as the anchors. But you're doing it for less money. So I think as long as the outcomes are good for the patient, and we move forward, and I love your concepts. You're always on social media, and you're talking about innovation. I want to talk about that next, which is, you know, big fan of social media. As are you. How do you use social media in your practice? I mean, I think that you're really good at it. We watch you. We see the things that you're doing. But just talk to the listeners as how how you incorporate it and why. Yeah, social media is one of the things that has allowed, you know, me to get out a sort of contrarian viewpoint or, or a disruptive, you know, look at things from just one guy you know, that you wouldn't be able to get through the standard, you know, boardrooms of of orthopedics, let's say. And so it's a big force multiplier to allow, you know, creativity to come out and have that market effect. To me, it's like an equalizer, kind of like when someone, an innovator, like in software design is, is doing something and they can put it on the app store and either the market likes it or they don't, you know, and we have all this regulation where you can have this big company or big insurance company say, well, no, you know, I, I actually have decreed that that's not going to work. And well, it's like, what do you know? You're not a doctor, you know, like you're not in the room with the patient seeing the outcomes. And, and so this allows us to just get it out there into the world um, and, and bypass some of these big filters that, you know, medicine is so bad about regulatory 
things and and they just create you know big insurance big hospital big industry have just these massive filters and we're so used to them we don't even know that they're there anymore we just operate with blinders on not even knowing what's on the outside of this this world so that's that's the way i use it is to try to get a little uh, chink of a different kind of reality a little different slice of reality that maybe you're not aware of uh, because you're not getting exposed to it and for me it's just fun it's 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 fun to show what we're doing and it keeps me interested in what i'm doing um you know when you're not doing the same thing every day or you're able to you're able to show the creative side that that keeps you uh keeps you interested and 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 get your colleagues i mean guys like you we we met you know do uh over you know linkedin basically and you see that there's there's people out there in little pockets that are connecting it you know don buford you mentioned and guys that are and it's like, hey, I'm doing this, you're doing that. It's all kind of cross-pollinating. This is how really good ideas get 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 moving in the market, right? It's like big disparate paradigms, value and outpatient surgery and you know, biomechanics and biology. And when these things come together and cross-pollinate, that's really where cool things happen traditionally, you know. So that's that's what I've been, you know, I'm not I'm not out in the podium, I'm not at a big university, I don't have residents and fellows, you know, so I have very limited time and bandwidth. And so that allows me to just kind of get my stuff out there. Yeah. Which provides an amazing opportunity for you to share your voice. I mean, before that, how else were you going to do that? You're going to go to society meetings, right? Well, look at society meetings. The last meeting we went to, they're spending $3 million a booth. And literally there was probably a third, maybe like five for 10% of the doctors that normally go. I mean, it was a ghost town. Joe Mullings, you know, our, one of our dear friends just posted, he's at a conference right now and literally half the hall is empty. So it's like, you know, in this post-pandemic world, how do you communicate? How do you talk about new things? I loved, I thought that was really succinct in, in what you just brought up and how you use social media to message, to innovate and bring people together. I think that's fantastic. Alyssa, Brad, it was great having you on. I mean, I love this. Uh, the Ortho Show is just amazing how we bring on really unique people. And I love how the fact that you're in private practice, you're not in academics, but yet you're still really trying to influence the behavior for the better of what we're doing here in orthopedics, specifically within the shoulder. You're an innovator, you're an entrepreneur, you love music. It's been great having you on. Thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate what you're doing, uh, being the communicator that you are for you know the orthopedic entrepreneur, orthopreneur uh, space and uh, you know helping, helping guys like me you know, get, our, get our stuff out there. Oh, it's a pleasure, Brad. It's been great having you on the show. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro host of the ortho show till next time.